Well, good evening, City Life. How's everybody doing tonight? I'm excited to have an opportunity to be with you and get to share God's word. So I hope you have an expectant heart to hear from him tonight. Uh, Fred is at our Suffolk campus as they are dedicating Pastor Justin and Stephanie's son Raj tonight. And so, yeah, if you know their journey, it was a long journey of five years and adopted Raj about a year ago, and they're dedicating him tonight. So that's going to be just an amazing time, and he was super honored to be able to go participate in that and celebrate with them. And so um, as we were doing planning a few months ago in our staff meeting, and it became apparent that I would have the opportunity to share tonight, I had just this immediate sense of what God wanted me to share. And so I do come tonight with such a sense of expectation um, that, that God has something very specific. And, and I hope that you are here tonight, not just to check a box, but to hear from a God who is intimately acquainted with you. Um, and, and it's just a good place to be. I love opening God's word. So I want to share tonight maybe differently than I ever have before, and that's really out of a, a very personal journey that I've been on the last couple of years. And so I want to start with my verse, one of my life verses, really, John 10.10. 10. You might know it. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I love the word only, right? It's like, hey, this is all he knows how to do, right? It's all his focus. Everything he does is to either steal, kill, or destroy from us. But, Jesus speaking in this verse, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I would say this phrase of life to the full, this unbelievable promise, is one of the bedrock promises of my own walk with Jesus. Now, what do you think of when you think of life to the full? A phrase, a thought, a word, help a girl out, life to the full. Somebody. Oh, yeah, I got a mic and I'll see you. <laughs> Hannah. Ice cream, nice, spiritual answer. Somebody else, life to the full. Do you think of something, a word, a phrase? So, yeah, Keith. Yep, so something that is not torn down, not maybe affected as much as other th with all the things going on. Somebody else, life to the full. Marcus. Passion, I love that, love that word. Somebody else, life to the full. Abundance in all areas. That's good. Scotty. Vacation. Vacation. Amen. Outer Banks. The boat. Lake Gaston. Somebody else. Life to the full. Jamal. Boldness. All right. One more over here. Monica. Best versus good. That's awesome. I lied. One more. Peace. That's great. One of the things I like about life to the full, the phrase, right, is it's this huge, broad, sweeping concept and promise that, that really encompasses something very individual and unique when you apply it to your own life. And for my life personally, I was really, you don't get to pick who you're born to, right? So I was privileged to be born into a home where my parents had been, you know, hippies, and they were saved in the Jesus movement in the early 70s. And so they came from homes that didn't have faith, and they experienced God in college and were radically transformed. And so they didn't run to the internet or to Lifeway. They didn't have those things, which my mom sounds like she's 90 when she says it, right? But she said, Vanessa, all we had is God's word. And so my parents began to read God's word and learn about what it meant to be a Christian because they really had no teaching and no schooling. And so because of that, that's the environment that I was raised in. 
It was a God-honoring, Christ-centered home that was all about what does God's word have to say? And within the boundaries of his word, I was convinced because I saw it modeled that life to the full was found within those boundaries. It wasn't something that was um, a hashtag although hashtags weren't really a thing back in the 70s, but it wasn't something that I just talk about now, but it was really something that uh, was handed to me and modeled in such a healthy way. And I can think of distinct moments in my life, specifically when I think of my teen years, where I was maybe stepping away from my parents' faith and beginning the journey of making my relationship with God my own. And I can think of those moments in the quiet of my own heart when I was making a decision to take God at his word, right, and not do what I saw some other people doing, some other friends, the direction they were going, but in those raw, honest conversations, which by the way, God is not scared of, right? I would be like, God, you, I'm gonna take you at your word, I'm gonna believe you right now, but you'd better show up, right? I better be experiencing life to the full. Like, I better smell it, taste it, live it, look it, walk it, because that's what I wanted, right? So, and guess what happened when I put God to the test? He has been faithful. I can think of relationships and circumstances and situations in my teen years, in my early adult years, where God just showed up over and over again, and I knew that I knew that I knew that life to the full was what I was experiencing. It doesn't mean life's perfect, Right? It doesn't mean I'm perfect, that's for sure. It doesn't mean there's not hardship, but it's a knowing for me that I'm doing exactly what God created me to do, and in the process, he's making me into the person that I'm supposed to be. I'm living the adventure that he's dreamed in his heart for me. And so it was actually rather surprising, somewhat alarming, pretty humbling if I'm completely honest, when I found myself dealing with an area of my life more recently in the last couple of years that began to erode the belief that I had in God's promise of life to the full, and it happened without my even realizing it. And this was in the area of eating and making right food choices for good health. And so just to be clear, I didn't have a food addiction. I, don't, it's, I didn't deal with a food disorder because that would be a different conversation. But what I'm talking about is this idea of making good choices, not letting my natural appetites drive me, and being in a place of, of, of a moderation and godliness in this area of my life, okay? So we're going to get real tonight. Vanessa's going to get real vulnerable. Because I had like a long conversation when I thought that this was what God wanted me to share about, about how it would be better if I didn't <laughs> share about it. <laughs> so, you know, Satan is so good he is so good at disguising himself as a relationship or a life circumstance or situation. Because, you know, if he came into our lives, if he would have come into my life with a mask on, right, and the smoking gun, and he would have kicked the door down, and he would have upturned furniture, I would have been like, that's bad, right? I, that's the devil, and he's here to steal from me, right? But that's not how it happens. That's not how he comes into our life. He's manipulative and wily and wicked and smart and seeking only to steal, kill, and destroy. So he gets his foot in the door in our lives, and we think we're just dealing with a thing, right? We're just dealing with a situation, a circumstance, a relationship. And then he positions himself behind the guise of that thing, and he begins to slowly raise the volume 
and amp up the suck, I call it, of stealing and killing and destroying. And so that's what had happened with me. And I'm sharing this because I believe that there might be some people here where the enemy may be doing something similar to you. You think you're dealing with a financial situation or circumstance. You think you're dealing with a relationship that might be difficult. Maybe you think you're dealing with food, drink, substance, something that brings pleasure. Could be a sexual appetite. Maybe it's the way you spend your time or how you organize your life. You think it's a thing and the enemy has positioned himself in your life. So I'm just going to be very, very vulnerable and real and share my journey and share the truth of God's word. Because how many know with the truth of God's word, we can experience complete, absolute freedom. And that's what I believe for us tonight. So how did I know? Because it happened slow and it was subtle. It was a slow buildup that caused like a mental distraction. It was kind of like an annoying mental distraction at first. It was like this staticky background noise in my life of, you know, right? You could do better. That wasn't pretty. You know, you could make better choices. You could be more in control. You could psych yourself up and do a better job. That was pathetic. How about tomorrow be better? How about you try to give up this food group? Try this eating plan. Substitute in your thing, right? How about that? And it wasn't all-consuming. If it would have been all-consuming, again, I think I would have been more keen and aware of what it was. But it became this background noise that started low, and it began to grow in volume. And what's scary about that is at the point where God started to show me this, it had become my normal. And I'm a Jesus girl, and that started to make me a little bit angry. I knew he had better. I knew it didn't fit within the boundary of life to the full. Does that make sense? Was I going to go to hell? No. Was I living a Christian life? Yes. Was I impacting the world? Was it? Yes. But was I living life to the full in this area of my life? <sighs> Probably not. Mental distraction. The second way is I began to justify my actions and my choices which the Bible has a lot to say about that. It's called the double-minded person. You know, one moment I was strong, one moment I was weak. One moment I was, well, it could be worse, right? I could be dealing with something else and my long list of excuses, you know? You know, maybe I, maybe I can be the happy, overweight, little chubbier than I need to, you know, it was never really about a size. Maybe I can have that area of my life a little bit out of control if everything else lines up to God's word, right? If I'm doing better in these areas, this justification, which begins this sense of striving, which then results in failure. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a cycle of striving and failure and justifying your actions and questioning your choices and you're double-minded. And again, because Satan is good at what he does, he came in my mind and he said, you know, the lie of, hey, hey, Vanessa, help God out. He's got a lot going on, you know. He's got a full plate. You know, you watch the news in the morning. He's kind of got a full plate today. So maybe you could just get this area together on your own. If you could just try a little bit harder, eat different, at a different time, a different thing. A different, if you could just get it together and not bother God about it, he's got a lot going on. 
And then I don't think it helped that because um, the privilege we have as pastors is we walk with people through good things, but we also walk with people through crisis. And so for me, the lie was, you know, this person's marriage is on the rocks. This, pers- this family can't pay their bills this month. You know, this person's child is in crisis and you eat too many chips and salsa, Vanessa, get a grip, help a God out, right? Like that's real, I'm just gonna be real with you. Get it together. So what happened slowly, 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 is I became trapped in wrong thinking that minimized my need for God in this area of my life. And I didn't even realize it. It wasn't like I set out to, right? I was trying to help God out. But I had minimized my need for God I minimized my belief that God wanted or should need to be involved. Not that he could, because I believed he could, I thought. But I minimized my belief that God wanted to or needed to be involved in my, this area of my life. And I'll tell you right now, what I've since learned in this last year and a half is that whenever we find ourselves having minimized our need for God, no matter what that area is, that is thin ice, That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. James 1, starting in verse 5, the previous verses speak to, you know, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials and in persecution because it tests your faith and then you have perseverance. And when perseverance finishes its work, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So when I read that, I say, okay, what happens when you're lacking something, right? The next verse. But if any of you lacks wisdom... James 1, 5, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you, but, listen to this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person, who is me, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Because I had minimized my need for God, I had begun to doubt. It had made me unstable and double-minded and led to my becoming trapped in this continually trying on my own and experiencing failure. And again, this became a cycle. The third way that I knew that God started to kind of awaken me to this place I found myself in was that as I stayed in this place, this cycle, you begin to experience what? Shame, right? Shame, embarrassment that it was even a problem, shame over my continued wrong choices, of the voice of the enemy, if you cannot control this, how can you say follow me as I follow Christ to the world that you live in, right? How can you be a good example to your daughter? How can you fill in the blank? His voice is real and active, and he loves to begin to up the volume that begins to make us embarrassed about the things that we're dealing with, which would further make us want to isolate and pull back. But again, I know God's word, Psalm 34, verse 5, right? Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Romans 5-5, five, five, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And so I found myself in this place experiencing shame that was growing. And I knew it wasn't a place that I could stay. And I would ask you tonight, 
is it possible there's an area in your life where you're experiencing less than life to the full? Where maybe you think that if you could just do better, work harder, try more, God has bigger fish to fry, so to speak. And maybe I don't need God's help. So this is where I found myself at the end of 2016. I was frustrated, embarrassed. But how many know when God takes us to a place, he doesn't leave us in that place, amen? And even though I found myself in that place, I just want to put a plug in for God's word. This is a paper Bible that's ratchet. Fred's like, get a cover on that Bible. But they don't sell the right size at Lifeway. So, but I just want to put a plug even though I was in this place, it wasn't defining my whole life. You guys knew me then. It was just the thing, right? But <laughs> if you have pra- the, the pathways that work in your life, I just want to give a plug for reading God's word daily because I'm about to share with you my journey from this ugly place. And I could just tell you over and over again, it happened because every day I just opened God's word right? So if you want freedom, if you want breakthrough, if you want anything from Jesus, start practicing the pathways, right? Worship and prayer and time in God's word. Every time you open God's word, even if it's just to read a verse, you give an opportunity for the truth, the timeless truth of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. So I opened my Bible in this place, Romans 3, verses 18, it was the end of 2016, reading the Bible through the year. I'm pretty sure that's probably why I was in Philippians. I'm not a big Bible scholar, right? I was just reading God's word that day, drinking my coffee, praying, doing my thing. Verse 18, Paul here is warning the Philippians. He's pleading with them. Listen to what he says. He says, for as I have often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears. So he's like, hey, I know I've said it before, but please, I want to say it again. Listen to me. And he's emotional. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I'm sure I was like, dang, who are those people? Enemies of the cross of Christ, right? Am I the only one that reads the Bible that way? Come on. I'm full of judgment. I'm sure I am. Enemies of the cross of Christ, who are these wretches, right? Sip my coffee. Their destiny is destruction. Of course it is. It should be. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. You ready? Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But, says Paul, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring some things, no, everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I read that that day. Whose God is their stomach, these enemies of the cross of Christ. The stomach in the Bible refers to any natural appetite that we have, right? It's not just your stomach, but it's any natural desire that your body has. How many know our bodies make demands of us, right? We're tired, we're thirsty, we're hungry, we're whatever it is. So the stomach is a symbol here of your natural appetites, their st- whose God is their stomach. So they're driven by pleasure, by their sexual appetite, by their natural appetite for food or drink, They're ruled moment by moment by their appetites. I want this, I want that, I want more, I want it now, I want it later, I want it again, I don't want it to stop, right? 
whose God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Matthew Henry's concordance states about this phrase, their glory is in their shame. They not only sinned, but these are people that boasted of it and gloried in that of which they ought to have been ashamed. These are people that have become so comfortable with their sin that they joke about it, right? It defines them. They talk openly about it. Something that should cause them shame, not that it's good that it would, but they've thrown that cloak off and they've moved on to a place of throwing on the cloak of this is their definition of who they are and they joke and they make fun. And if I'm really honest, I had started to do that in this place of failure, embarrassing to say, But I had had thoughts of, you know, could I just live with this? Could I be the, you know, I'm sure this made Fred, I remember saying it to Fred one time, you know, such a woman of faith and valor and might that I am. You know, Fred, could I be like the cute, fat pastor who has a powerhouse relationship with God and this area of my life is just a little bit out of control? Could I just do that? Stupid, right? But I was really trying to talk myself into the fact that this could be okay. There's cute plus-size clothes, too, because it really wasn't about a size. It was about the throne of my heart. We know that, right? But that's when I thought it was about other things. Their mind, so whose God is their stomach, the glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. I already spoke to that, right? The double-mindedness, the background noise of distraction that certainly is not part of life to the full that God has. But I love what Paul writes here. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. You know what that means? That means, hey, just because you live here, it doesn't mean you have to live by the rules of here, right? We belong to the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of heaven, there's a power that we have access to that gives us the freedom to live free from these driving appetites. Our God doesn't have to be our stomach, right? We don't have to glory in our shame. We can be set free from those things. And that's what Paul says here. We can live by a different value system. Because of why? Because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who enables us to bring everything under his control. Not just the pretty things, not just the big things, but the little things and the annoying things and the ugly things. Everything can be brought under his control. We can live by this value system. How many know it takes great courage to hold up the mirror of God's word and be really honest about it? Right? You step up to the mirror of truth and you have to really kind of hold your breath and be honest. And God meets us in that place. And so this is where I found myself, knowing the truth of who God is. God is beginning to show me truth, talk to me. There's a restlessness and knowing there's more. I can't stay in this place, but afraid to try because so much failure, so much failure, that's all you know. If you have an error in your life like this, you know what I'm talking about and you don't have to raise your hand, but I gotta believe there's some people in here. Beginning to spin out in a place of failure and shame and embarrassment with no clear path forward, double-minded as if I was a victim. And I can tell you one thing I am not. I am not a victim. I know that that is not what God has for my life. So I want to ask you, is there an area of your life where you're struggling like this? Maybe having thoughts, what if this is as good as it gets? What if it can't get better? What if God can't help me? Or what if I stay broken? Not like, what if I stay broken, I'll die. No, more like, what if I stay broken, can I still get through? Can I make it through the pearly gates? If that's all you're shooting for, you probably can't. 
But it's not the heaven now that we believe in God's word, is it? It's not life to the full. Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, some of my favorite verses. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Put your weakness in that word. Who is not unable to sympathize with our But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. What do we do? Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. With confidence, I love that. Not with shame, not with embarrassment, not in defeat. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I was in a time of need And so I want to share with you how God spoke to me. How many know when God comes and he meets you, if you've had an encounter like this, you're forever changed? I was forever changed to this day because this is where I found myself. I was reaching for God's word. There was a resource, this book, Made to Crave by Lisa Turquhurst. I'd read it several years before, and I grabbed it this one day. Which, by the way, she's a speaker at Devoted Girlfriends. See you there. Um, I'm not sure what night, but I can't wait to hear her. Um, And um, the premise of the book, Made to Crave, is just that we're made with with the ability to be passionate and crave things and want things and desire things. God put that in us. It's not bad. But what we often do, right, is we end up doing it with things that are wrong things that are unhealthy. And so it's a journey for her with food, which I found relevant and had read it, but it could be anything that you're dealing with. And so I don't know what caused me to open to this page, this chapter. Again, I had read this book. Sadly, I'll be honest with you, I'd read this book several times. It's got lots of highlights and notes, but none of that set me free. So, but this day, this is what I I read. Just gonna keep it real. Said obviously, she's writing here, I've been around this mountain a time or two or 27. But I love what my friend Ruth Graham says about traveling around the same mountain for far too long. This is Ruth Graham speaking. Either we can be victimized and become victims, or we can be victimized and rise above it. Not a shocker. Often, it's easier to play the victim than take off our masks and ask for help. We get comfortable with our victim status. It becomes our identity, and is it hard to give up? The Israelites often played the victim. And I love what God finally tells them in Deuteronomy 2, verse 3. God says, you have circled this mountain long enough, now turn north. Turn north. It's time to move on from self-pity, fear, pride, and negativity that paralyze us. Taking off our masks takes courage, but if we don't do it, we will remain in our victim status and end up stunted. Taking off my mask means I have to admit that there's a problem, and I really don't want to do that, because admitting I have a problem will likely require that I make, to make change. And change is hard. So that day I read that and it just jumped off the page, taking off my mask. Change is hard. God, what am I supposed to do? And, um, and I had a vision that day. That's super spiritual. You can have a vision too. What a vision is is basically a picture with a sense of understanding of what God's trying to say from that picture. And I was... Um, in a really bad place with this area of my life, ready to just, let's put it in a room and shut the door, right? And we'll go on and keep the rest of the house clean and that will just be the ugly closet. And really, really needed to hear from Jesus about this. And that day I just was worshiping the Lord and I saw this amazing picture. 
And it was from like, like an aerial view, like if you were a drone, right, looking down. And what I saw was this huge, large, beautiful meadow. And it was vibrant and green. And in this meadow, there was just these rolling fields and hills. And there was a brook that passed through and a small lake. And there was a grove of trees, different types of vegetation. And there was water that was in the shade. And there was wildlife. And everything was like just jumping off the page, beautiful. Everything I could see, it was so clear that everything in that, within the boundaries of this, of this there was a fence around it. And it was large. And everything within those boundaries was thriving. It was clear that everything had what it needed for its best life. And inside of that meadow, as I began to look, there was this wild, beautiful stallion jumping and galloping with this gorgeous, gleaming coat and a long mane on it. And it was just having the best time. It was just frolicking. And then it it would go and it would get water from the babbling brook. And then it would find rest in the shade. And it had everything it needed. It was a beautiful stallion. And then all of a sudden, the stallion was just grazing in the meadow, and it looked over to the fence. It wasn't a high fence. And it just began to walk towards the fence. Now, everything outside of the fence was still alive, but it was dull. And it was not as vibrant. It was less than. It was clear you'd want to be in the fence. And the stallion began to pick up pace and began to trot and then gallop and eventually jumped the fence and went out of view. And then immediately there was a sense of time passing and I saw the stallion come back into view. And the stallion, it was hard to recognize it was even the same animal. The stallion was, was thin, its ribs were showing, where it had you know, easily jumped the fence, it hobbled over the fence, was emaciated, its coat had patches missing, there was no shine on it. Its, its mane was mangled. It was hobbling. It looked like it was just hanging on for dear life. And that stallion came back into that meadow, and it knew where to go to get sustenance. It began to graze, and it began to go to the water, and it was going to begin a journey of healing. And what God showed me that day, what God spoke to me, is, Vanessa, you have always embraced since you were a young girl, that the best life that you can have is within the boundaries of my word. You've not just endured the truth, you've not just embraced it, you've championed it, you've invited others to join you. Why is it then that in this one area, you don't believe that your best life is lived within the boundaries of my word? Why do you keep jumping the fence And God showed me in that moment, in such a real way, in such a loving way, in such a raw and authentic way, that this had never been a journey about eating or food or being a certain size or even health, but it had been a journey about the throne of my heart. And my commitment that God's promise of possessing life to the full applied to this area. Whether I thought it should or not, did I believe that he had things to say about it and he had a different way for me to live. And in that moment, I knew that I was the wild stallion and that God wanted to be central to the solution for me. 
And that sounds almost silly saying it, but it changed everything in that moment. It changed everything. God came and he met me in my small little world, in my ugly little issue, and he basically said, hey girlfriend, I love you, and I wanna be super involved in this, and I have things to say. Stop looking other places, stop making up your own plan, stop doing what you think is right, shut up already, because that's what God says to me in a loving way, and let me be part of this solution. And man, I was broken that day. And I feel like God wants to say that to some of you tonight about some area in your life. Stop striving. Stop trying to plan. Stop trying to try harder. I have something to say to you. My word has truth and freedom for you. And so I began what really was just this beautiful journey And I want to give you, in the time we have left, just a few more minutes, the four things that I believe all four are so, so important. If you want to move from where you are to a place of life to the full. And the first is, I had to admit this as an area of sin. And that sounds like, duh, yeah, but I had never done that. I had thought it was an area I could do better. I thought it was an area I wanted to do better, but I had never called it sin before. Like, that's a whole nother bucket, right? That's a different bucket because I don't want to have sin in my life. You don't want to have sin in your life. So admitting this as sin was really, really scary for me because the other thing is I have to eat three times a day and honestly, let's say five. And if I call it sin today, I can't change my mind next month. I have to eat every day for the rest of my life. So admitting it as sin was big for me. That was a big one. Because all of a sudden, if I put it in the bucket called sin, there's a whole lot of stuff that God's word has to say about sin that I now have to apply to this area of my life. And I don't have the freedom once I put it in the bucket of sin to not make it sin in a couple years, right? In a decade. Because once I put it in the bucket, it stays in the bucket. Sin. And that for me was the taking off my mask. I had to face all of my excuses, all of my doubts, all of my feelings that this was not something that God should have to help me with, would need to help me with. Would he really even want to be involved in it? I mean, he's been involved in big things like healing people from sickness and marriages in crisis and, you know, those kind of things. Not get a grip on your appetite. And so I began to that day when I admitted it as sin, I can tell you as, as sure as I'm standing here, there was almost like a tangible change for me in how I began to view it and think it about it. And I believe this was the literally like the taking off of a mask of being a victim, which I want to have nothing to do with, and picking up the truth of God's word that he wanted me to overcome. The second step right after admitting it as sin was he had to have a good old repentance session. How many know you got to repent? I don't think I'd ever repented. Whatever, late night, wrong choices, late night pantry raids. I mean, my family eats. We eat. our, our kitchen's open all the time, you know? So, um, yeah, I'd never repented for this before. Repenting is just a biblical word, right? Which means if God is here in this area of my life, I had been walking away from him. And I had to do a 180 
and now say, God, I walk to you in this area of my life. I am sorry that I've been walking away from you. I'm sorry that my back has been to you and I have not asked you for your input the way that I should. Acts 3.19, it says, repent and turn to God. But it doesn't stop there. It says, why? So your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come. And you know, the minute I admitted it as sin, and God began to break my heart that what I had really just began to open up my eyes to this area as being sin, which was really, really, I can't say enough how scared I was to call it sin. Because I know enough about who God is and what God's word says, it just was a big deal. But then, it doesn't just, we admit it as sin and then we're stuck with it. Like, it's like for a moment I felt the weight of that, right? It's like, as soon as I admit it as sin and then I began to walk towards God with it, God began to set me free. God began to already start to change me. That times of refreshing may come. The third thing is that I had to ask God for his boundaries. And this is the practical part, whatever yours might be. This is the part where you roll up your sleeves and you actually get a tangible, practical steps. You ask God for his boundaries that would bring life to the full. And you ask him, and then you shut up and you listen. Because God has things to say. And sometimes we're like, God, just show me what you want me to do, right? Lord, I just want to hear from you. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So like you, I had to really ask him. James 4, verse 7. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And here's the kicker. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's that phrase again. Wash your hands, you sinners. Hands in the Bible represent the things that we do, the activities that we're in, our behaviors. It's interesting here, isn't it? In James that he says two things you have to do. Wash your hands, which means change what you're doing, changed behavior, changed activity, change in the actual doing, but it doesn't stop there. It says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. This speaks to the motivation behind why you're doing what you're doing. See, I think I had done both, but separate, never together. And it wasn't until I began to wash my hands, you sinner, understanding that I was dealing with sin, change what I would do, change behavior, change activity, change menus, change plans, change everything, and together with purify your heart. Let God begin to purify my heart. Change the why behind it. No longer striving, but doing it to please God. God giving me new reasons, new motivation, new understanding that begin to purify my heart. And I believe that true victory comes when we do both of those things together. I'm going to invite the band to come. The fourth thing that we have to do, we admit a sin, we repent, we ask God for his boundaries, but we can't stop there because what do we have to do? We actually have to do it. And that's a fancy word called obedience, where we take the plan that he's given us, the boundaries he's given us, and we have to execute that. And that can be really daunting. 
We begin to obey. We begin a journey to freedom by doing things different for different reasons. This is when God really shows his muscle because when you start to obey, you begin to do things different and God begins to come as only a heavenly father can and he begins to supernaturally blow on you, right? He begins to help you do things that you never would have done before. Think new thoughts, try new things, And I believe that obedience is just like a muscle. How many have done any kind of workout, right? The first time you do it, maybe you can only do 10 reps. But then if you continue with it, your muscle gets stronger. And what was very difficult before, no, is no longer difficult. And so this step of obedience takes great faith and great courage because we have to actually take the plan, the boundaries, the truth that God's ministered to us and we begin to put it into practice in our life. All the rest is meaningful, but it doesn't mean much until you start to what? What's the phrase? The rubber meets the road. When you start to execute and implement what God has shown you, you begin to then walk to freedom. And I'm not going to lie, it's not easy. I had to start every single day with an intentional and strategic conversation with God about this. It's exhausting. I don't like to talk about the same thing every day. You know what I mean? It was humbling. It made me super aware of my need for God. It was hard. It got boring. But I can tell you what, I have learned more in this last year. This all happened late 2016. I began to implement a plan that God gave me. By the way, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, right? His plan, there were some things that were, of course, any kind of plan would have this. But then there were things that he told me to do, things he asked me to to set aside that I never would have connected. I never would have thought. What does that even have to do with? Shut up, Vanessa. Here's the boundaries. Here's the fence. Do you believe that your best life does live within the boundaries of my word? And I can tell you that as I began to walk this out and I'm 14 months into just a new way of doing this area of my life, you can see that I'm not skinny. You can see that I'm healthy. It's really not been about my physical body at all. It's been about the throne of my heart. It's been about, do I believe that God's word continues to be true? That he promises life to the full and that he cares about the stupid things that the enemy would love to come and make a permanent part of our life and just slowly steal, kill, and destroy from us. And I don't know about you, but I want to be just as brazen as I was when I was 14 years old and said, God, you had better give me the best life, right? You had better show me life to the full. When I look at my life, I want to see life to the full, not a perfect life, not a problem-free life, but that I'm living the life that you've designed for me to live in the fullness of your promise in every area. I don't have any closets you're not allowed in, no rooms that are out of control. You are welcome to all of it. So as we return into just a time of worship for a few minutes, I just want to invite you to consider for your own life whether there might be an area where the enemy has positioned himself, where he slowly amped the volume. You thought it's a thing and it's not a thing. You think it's about one thing and God wants to bring truth wants to show you 
that what you're dealing with is actually something different. And because of that, you get to open up the truth of God's word and bring all of the promises to bear because he wants and desires life to the full. Amen? Just stand if you will, and we're gonna just go into a time of worship for a few minutes. Let me just pray. Father, I just pray that for each one of us, that we would have the courage to hold up the truth of your word. Lord, that we would have the courage to not hold back, but totally throw ourselves into being courageous and holding up that truth and saying, God, what are you saying to me? That, Lord, that we would passionately pursue a life that is full within the boundaries of your word. That we would become convinced to the core of who we are. That our best life, our most impact-filled life, our most adventurous life, our most meaningful life, our funnest life, our only life can be lived within the boundaries of your word. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name.